Amen. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter number 24. Proverbs chapter 24. And we're going to be in the first four verses here this morning. I do want to go ahead and make some of the announcements this morning so that folks that are watching by live stream can see uh, some things that are upcoming. And so just um, a, a few of them, the teens, and we'll say more about this at the end of the service, are going to have one fundraiser for camp. And they're getting ready to go here in just a few weeks. Uh, and it's today. So they're going to have popcorn Opolis out available in the lobby to place orders. And so uh, if you would like to help them and be a blessing to them, uh, then this is the opportunity that we have to, to do that. Uh, and so we would encourage you to, uh, to do that, to take part, to be a help and a blessing to them. Uh, also, we are going to have on a week from tomorrow is the 4th of July already. Uh, it's, it's kind of amazing that it's gone that fast. And we've been debating uh, a lot as to whether we wanted to try to do something that morning because it's been so excessively hot uh, so far this summer. Uh, but uh, we're supposed to get a little bit of rain this week. And I, I don't know the last time I've been this excited about the prospect of some rain. Uh, and so, but, but we're praying that the Lord will deliver and that the rain will come. Uh, and so and the temperature moderate a little bit. It's not going to be cool, but at least it'll be better than it has been. So next Monday on the 4th of July, we're going to have from 10 until about 1 or so an activity here at the church. We'll have some bounce houses for, uh, I want to say for the kids, but one of them may be for the adults too. If you want to feel a little rambunctious, we'll have uh, some hamburgers, hot dogs, brats, things like that. We'll have a room set up. We'll have the fellowship hall set up. Uh, with some other games and things for folks that need to get in and out of the heat, take a break from the heat. Uh, and so, but we'll come, just come together and there's not really an agenda other than just come and have a good time of fellowship together. Uh, still keep your afternoon and early evening open for family commitments before you go to fireworks things and celebrate in that way. Uh, so if you'd like to come for the whole thing or you'd like to just drop in at some point during that time, uh, then it'll be available. And so we'll get started at about 10. Uh, and we'll plan it to last until about one. If folks are still having a good time and going on, we'll just stay till everybody's worn out and too hot to keep going, uh, or until the food and the, but that that may be until the food and the and the the drinks run out, right? Uh, and so, but but mark that down. That's a week from tomorrow, uh, and so we we want to just have an opportunity to have a good time of fellowship and. It's been a little while since we've, uh, really since Easter time, since we've had something like that. And so we'll look forward to that if you're, if you're available. Uh, also, the following Sunday on July the 10th, if you are, and this is something that'll be new, it's not something that we've done before, but there are uh, a good number of folks that have either joined the church since the first of the year, or you've been visiting, and you're visiting enough that I think that I can feel pretty confident that you're at least somewhat interested in praying about maybe this being your church home. And that's true if this is your first time today and you come out and you say, man, I really enjoyed the service today. This might be the place for me. Uh, so on the 17th or the 10th, excuse me, of July, following the morning service, we're going to have a luncheon. It'll be with the pastoral, pastoral staff, uh, with the deacons, uh, families. And so if you are a newer member since, since January, uh, or you are looking and praying about where God would have you to make your church home, uh, then we want to extend an invitation for you to plan on staying after the service and uh, just having a, a time of fellowship and a nice meal together. Uh, there's been a lot of things going on. It's been difficult to get to everyone. A lot of the folks that you've been coming have had a lot of family and, and been comings and goings. So it's been hard to get connected. We just want an opportunity to just connect, maybe answer some questions. Uh, and then following that, <clears throat> 
within a couple of weeks, we're going to have a starting point class. The starting point class is a temporary Sunday school class essentially for adults. Uh, and that class, I'll teach that class, it'll last about four to six weeks. Uh, and I will just go over basics of our church, basic doctrinal things, uh, basic functional things, give you an opportunity to ask questions about why do you do it this way or why do you do that. Uh, you had a missionary here today. I've never been in a church where we actually saw a real life missionary. You'd be surprised if you've been in our church for a long time. That's not a common thing in a lot of churches. And so we, we see our missionaries. We know who we're supporting. We send money uh, money directly to them each month to support their ministries. And so uh, there are some things like that that may be a little bit unique and you wonder about. This will be a great opportunity and forum for you to be able to get those questions answered uh, and, to, and to make a decision as you pray about, is this where God would have me to be? And so uh, those things are upcoming and that's not all of the announcements for today, but those are some things that I wanted to put out there in case uh, someone needed to see that uh, on the live stream. I appreciate Brother Mann and his family and their willingness to go not just to the mission field, but to Europe. I remember when I was in high school, it seemed like a very high percentage of missionaries that came through the churches that I was a part of whenever I was in that time in my life were going to places like Italy and France and, uh, and the UK and Lithuania and Romania and different parts of the world. It's very uncommon today. Uh, we, we struggle, and I've looked, to schedule missionaries that are going to Europe because Europe is hard. Europe is in a post-Christian era, and we are too, uh, and, we're, and, and, and we're getting there where they are quickly. But we are, the, we're not in a world, and in Europe especially, is not in a world where people really have any Bible literacy, they have any knowledge, uh, and they're not open to the gospel. And so a missionary can literally go there and labor for, uh, for a decade or more and struggle to see just a handful of converts, and it's hard, uh, but they still need to hear the gospel. Uh, and so I appreciate their willingness to go to a place that they already know by experience and uh, the testimony of others that it's a hard place. It's a, uh, you know, and, and to, to the shame of many pastors in America, they will not support missionaries unless they're producing big numbers. Uh, and so missionaries have kind of been conditioned by that because it's easier to raise support if I'm going to go uh, someplace where I'm going to just see a lot of a lot of decisions. If I'm going to go to a part of the world that's been, you know not been exposed to the gospel, but listen, there are millions of people still in a cold and a dark culture that need to hear the gospel. Whether they accept Christ or not is irrelevant to the gospel. The importance of the gospel going there. Uh, and so Paul got the Lord called Jeremiah to go to his own people uh, and preach and he was persecuted and never had even a single convert but his life uh, was a success and that he followed the will of God for his life. Uh, and so of course we love it when pe we see people saved and hear reports of salvations and baptisms and churches established and things of that nature. Uh, but whether the people receive the gospel or respond to the gospel in a positive way or not, the gospel still needs to go. And it still needs to go forth. And so I appreciate their family being willing to do that. Uh, I would invite you to take some time this morning to go by their table here in the back corner of the auditorium. Uh, to ask them questions about where they're going, their family, how they go about the things that they do. Uh, and then he'll share more tonight. He'll be preaching in the service this evening. Uh, and so we'll get much better acquainted this evening as a church family with the man family. And so, but uh, don't miss the opportunity 
to get acquainted with them and to take a prayer card to partner with them in prayer and pray about what God will have us do as a church as they go uh, to Macedonia with the gospel on our behalf and the behalf of other churches like us. And so uh, welcome today. We're so glad that you folks are here. Uh, and so you pray for them. Well, if you found your place here in Proverbs chapter 24, Proverbs chapter 24 in the first four verses, the Bible says, Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. For their heart studieth destruction, and their lips talk of mischief. Through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. I'm going to speak this morning on this thought, building a fulfilling life. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for our opportunity to come together. We pray now that you would bless your word, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. May we, uh, Lord, be focused and attentive to the word of God this morning as it's given. In Jesus' name, amen. As you look at this in the opening verses this morning, I, <clears throat> he says here, be not thou envious against evil men. And the first thought that comes to many people's mind when they read those words is, why in the world would I envy someone that's evil? Uh, and I think that that's a, fair, that's a fair question. But I think that we live in such a time that evil is not so easily seen. We live in a time where that which is evil is called good and that which is good is called evil. Uh, if you don't believe that, if you know your Bible at all, watch national media. Just, just pick up and watch a news, watch a news broadcast, doesn't matter which one, uh, and listen to what they're saying. And if you know the Bible, everything that the culture is screaming is good and is right and should be normal, the Bible is screaming that's evil and that's wicked. God hasn't changed. Uh, and Satan hasn't changed. Now the culture changes, we redefine things, we realign in different ways, uh, we go through all kinds of things. And so I, my, my point is this, that I think genuine, good, sincere people that are searching for the truth, that without some godly wisdom and understanding, have a hard time discerning what's good and what's evil. Because they've been programmed for now two or three generations, going back to my generation really, that that which is good is evil and that which is evil is good. If you hold a biblical position on many of the things that have been in the news this past week and that are being celebrated over this past month, then you are gonna take a position that is contrary to the culture. And the culture is gonna cry out that you're evil and that you're hateful and that you're this, that, and the other. But if you take a godly position, a biblical position, then you have to stand up and say, that's wickedness. God says pride is something that he hates. God says what everyone seems to be so proud about is an abomination. Uh, and so God hasn't changed about those things. Uh, and so I'm just trying to make the point this morning that we have to have God's understanding of a matter to make decisions about it. That doesn't mean that it's ever right. Uh, for Christians to go out and to, uh, to slander, to be hateful, to be unkind, to be uh, in any way to any, any people group or any culture, any lifestyle or what have you. We should take the gospel there and speak the truth in love, but it should be spoken softly, compassionately, uh, and, and with a genuine love and offer from God. And if it's rejected, it's rejected. But I'm not going to win anybody to Christ if I go out 
uh, hurling names and casting stones. I need to just love the Lord and love people, but, but don't ask me to say that something that is evil is right. And so Christians need to understand that. And he's saying here, be not thou envious against evil men. Don't, don't sit back and say, hey, I want to be like them. Now we do that in part because we have a, a, it's hard to understand good and evil in, our, in, this, in the blurred lines of society. We also do it because if you come from, uh, if, if you are a family that has, has had it hard in, in things, substance, careers, uh, livelihood, things of that matter, and life has been a struggle, it's kind of, sometimes you sit back and you look at somebody that lives in a nice house or has nice cars and wears nice clothes and you think, man, I, I wish sometimes I could have that. And even if you're content in the Lord, it's hard at times to not look and say, you know, I wish that my life was a little bit better than it is. Don't be envious. It's not wrong to want to improve and better and work hard to do so if God blesses in that way. That's a commendable thing and praise God for his blessing. I'm just saying the trap is, is that we as oftentimes look and we, we can be envious of those that are evil. Asaph talked about it in Psalm 73. We don't have time to go there this morning. Uh, but he did not understand until he came to the house of God. And he saw God at work in the hearts of his people and what truly mattered. Uh, and so be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. There should be a defining line. Do I want to be with them to share the gospel? Yes. Do I want to be with them uh, to build lifelong relationships that are close and personal and intimate and, uh, and influential within my life? No. If I want to influence with them the gospel, that's wonderful. When they begin to influence me with the things of this world, then I need to separate. Yeah. Uh, and so I need to be cautious about that. Be, uh, be not, desire not to be with them. And he tells us why. For their heart study to destruction. Now listen. Most people that are caught up in this type of, of mentality today do not go out into the world and get up every day thinking, I want to go and destroy my life. Now, there are a good and growing number of them that come out and say that they want to destroy our way of life. Uh, but, but they don't get up every day thinking that I'm doing this because I want to destroy myself. They genuinely, truly think that that's the way the world should look. And they're genuine and they're sincere in that. But the truth is, is that the road that they're going down, like we talked about on Wednesday night, is a path to destruction. It's going to look wonderful in the beginning, but it's going to lead to and end up in destruction. Don't believe that? Go buy gas after church on your way home today. <laughs> and their lips talk of mischief. Now I want you to notice in verse number three, through wisdom is in house building, and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be fulfilled with all present, pleasant and precious, with all precious and pleasant riches. So my point this morning in the message is this. Everyone that I've described this morning, whether they ideologically align with where we are as Christians, or whether they, uh, they align with uh, the, the things of this world, they're all searching, we're all searching for a life that is fulfilling. And a fulfilled life is a difficult thing to achieve. There are a lot of people that have accomplished lives that are not fulfilled. There are a lot of people that achieve great things that are unfulfilled in their life. So I'm not talking about this morning living a life that achieves greatness 
however greatness is defined in your heart and mind. I'm talking about living a life that's fulfilled. Whether I am rich or poor, whether I am uh, well-known or not known at all, am I fulfilled? Do I pillow my head at night? Do I wake up in the morning and I walk in my relationship with God and say, whatever my circumstances are, God, I'm fulfilled in my relationship with you. You're enough for me. So how do I do that? How do I go about that? Well, the, the, the writer of this proverb here gives us some instruction. Uh, and so just kind of establishing the train of thought this morning, uh, think about some of these things. And I'm going to define some of these terms so that we understand uh, what the message is that he's trying to, uh, to communicate here. It is a basic human need that transcends time, gender, political views, ambitions, races, lifestyles, etc., to have a, a desire to be fulfilled. To fulfill, by definition, means to accomplish what was intended and desired. Now, that sounds like, uh, say, Pastor, that, that's, there are a lot of people that accomplish what they intended and desired or unfulfilled. That's just the beginning of the definition here. Understand the second part of the definition is this. To be gratified by accomplishment and a feeling that what you've done is important. So where does fulfillment come from? Fulfillment comes from, the, from, from knowing principally this is what I do and this is why I do it. And, and in doing so, I feel that my contribution to my church, to my country, to my city, to my company, to my marriage, to my children as a parent, to my grandchildren as a grandparent has been worthwhile has been impactful, has made a difference, has been influential. It, is, it has been important that my existence mattered. You know, a lot of people that go through life and accomplish great things, then they subsequently take their own life because they look at their, their bank account with millions of dollars and their homes that they can't even visit every room in in a, in a month of Sundays uh, and uh, their name recognition globally uh, and across the, the realm of their area of expertise and where they've made their name and yet they're unfulfilled. They feel as if what they've done has not been important. It's not mattered that their life, their existence didn't matter. May I say to you this morning that in God's world, you matter. Whether, the world, whether I matter to the world around me at large or not, I matter to God. Amen. And we all matter to people more than we realize. We all have a, an impact in lives more than we understand. And this is not something that's new to our era today. This is something that's been around since the Garden of Eden. And if you look back through history, and I'm going to, just Alexander the Great, for example, uh, by the time he was 30 years old, had essentially conquered the known world. And he was famous for saying, there are no more worlds to conquer. After he, after he conquered Persia and Darius uh, of Daniel's era in the Bible, uh, he uh, pushed ahead into India and his soldiers were so lonely and longing for home that he turned back there and went to what, is, what would be Babylon uh, and was going to establish there the capital of his empire away from Greece, kind of centralized. Uh, he took ill and died at 32 years of age. There's a lot of debate as to whether or not he really just got sick or whether he was poisoned. 
Uh, and so, and there's arguments to be made in both ways, but he had, he had everything the world could offer. His father, uh, who was assassinated, uh, invested heavily in his training. Aristotle was his tutor until he was 16 years of age. He had everything the world could offer. The cities are named in his honor in the most notable Alexandria in Egypt. He's, he's known even all of these centuries later as still Alexander the Great. He's actually uh, Alexander III of Macedon. It's his true name. But we know him as Alexander the Great. And he ended his life saying there are no more worlds to conquer. On his tomb is inscribed uh, as an epitaph these words. A tomb now suffices him for whom the world was not enough. Is God enough? Listen, the world will never leave you fulfilled. It can distract me enough in my early years to think that I'm fulfilled. But now getting into my latter years, I've come to realize that, you know, a lot of things that I was really passionate about when I was in my 20s and 30s really turned out to not be so important. There are a lot of things that I wish I would have emphasized more. There are a lot of things in ministry that I wish that I would have emphasized more. Uh, there are a lot of things that I wish that uh, I would have come to understand at an earlier age. But listen, understand this morning that accomplishment alone cannot bring fulfillment. Fulfillment comes in a relationship with Christ and having his wisdom and understanding and knowledge so that we equate the value that we have to the purpose that God has for us. The whole world seeks to find fulfillment. Some will seek to find it in greed. Some will seek to find it in power. Some will try to find it in relationships or entertainment. And they only find themselves unfulfilled the next day. They are wanting, lacking. Even Christians seek to find fulfillment in deeds done and find themselves at the end of their Christian life empty and hollow and unfulfilled because all they've done is check boxes all their life and never really truly developed a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible here gives us some insight as to how we can go about developing a productive, fulfilling life that pleases and honors God and leaves us going to bed at night in peace and rising in the morning, excited about the day and what God can do with our lives. Say, Pastor, do you have this mastered? Not by a long shot. It's really not that difficult to understand, but like much of the Christian life, it's, it's, its beauty is in its simplicity. The struggle is that the flesh is constantly getting in the way. I want you to consider three thoughts from here this morning, and uh, they're simple and basic, but things that I think are worth being reminded of this morning. In verse number three, through wisdom is in house builded, and by understanding it is established. I would say this morning, if I would live a life that's fulfilled, I must first build my life on wisdom. Not the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom of God. And understand there's a difference. The, the world does not feel itself irrational. They have well-reasoned, in many cases, rational reasons to believe what they believe. They're just divorced from the person of God. They are void of God's values and God's purpose and what God created us to be. So when we talk about wisdom, we're not talking about the wisdom of man. We're talking about the wisdom of God. And as a Christian, I need to understand, God, I need your wisdom. There are a lot of people that 
are very intelligent. Many of you in this room are far more intelligent than I've ever aspired to be or would ever hope to be. Uh, and I don't think I'm, uh, I'm the dumbest guy in the room, uh, but I don't think that I'm the most intelligent person in the room by a long shot. What I'm saying this morning is this, is that man's wisdom is irrelevant to having a fulfilled life. It's not a matter of intelligence. It's not a matter of, uh, it's not a matter of, uh, of, of how much uh, I, I come to understand on my own. It's a matter of, do I have the wisdom of God? Have I sought him? Do I long to have a relationship with him? Will I build my life upon him? So how does that come about and where does it come from? Well, Psalm 111 in verse 10 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. <coughs> what am I saying here? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So where does the wisdom begin? Wisdom begins when I learn to fear the Lord. Now, what does that mean? God does not want us as his children uh, walking around uh, shuddering and shivering whenever he comes up because we're terrified in his presence. If we're terrified in his presence, it's because we see God on his throne and his power and his majesty, but it's not because he comes threatening and he comes hovering over us. So you, you come to a household where, uh, where the children are terrified at the presence of their father, that's not healthy. They should long to be with him. They should uh, run to greet him when he comes home. And it shouldn't be coerced. It should be a natural response to father coming home uh, to where they long and want to be in his presence. But yet, if they step out of line, there's a genuine fear. But what we're talking about here primarily is a reverence, a desire to honor, a desire to please. A desire to recognize the power and the position of God. The, the fear of the Lord. The understanding of who God is and what I am. Of his power. And it leaves me in awe that he would even take a moment in time to look at me and give me any, any notice whatsoever. Who am I that God should pay any attention to me? Who am I that God should care whether I take another breath? Who am I that God would send his son to pay my sin debt? Who am I that Jesus would go to a cross and raise from a grave? Who am I that God would promise to bring me into his presence whenever this life comes to an end? But the truth of the matter is, is that I do matter, and so do you. I may not understand it, I may not ever understand it, but I want to understand that if I fear or reverence and honor and seek to please my Father in heaven, that that is the beginning of wisdom. Doesn't mean that I've arrived in the standpoint of wisdom. It means that it's the beginning. So wisdom begins with a fear of God. Now let me rephrase it this way. Wisdom begins with a proper biblical view of who and what God is. And so when I come to understand and accept that, then I'm on the path to wisdom. On a more practical note, secondly here, we see that wisdom is the power, uh, or excuse me, wisdom is the proper use or exercise of knowledge. And so if you come to church here very long at all, you'll hear me say this a few, several times a year, that wisdom is the proper use of knowledge. Anybody can acquire knowledge. Godless people can pick up the Bible and memorize its pages. 
I've been in realms where, where you know, good meaning and even pastors and missionaries thought, uh, you know, if you got a problem with uh, satanic or demonic activity, just blare scripture because Satan has to run from scripture. No, Satan quoted scripture to Jesus. Even the devils know the Bible. They know the God of the Bible. The people in this world uh, that, that despise God, the God that they serve, the God that they're aligned with, knows the true and living God. I'm not talking about wisdom being just going out and accumulating facts. I can go and learn about a lot of, <coughs> of uh, governments and political things that I disagree with, and I can go and learn a lot of things that, and have about different faiths and beliefs and religions uh, and about what they believe. And I understand and know biblically why I agree or disagree with things in their uh, faith and their way of looking at, at things. And what I'm saying <clears throat> this morning is this, is that the ability to go and to learn and to exercise knowledge is a great thing. But it doesn't mean that I have wisdom. Wisdom is to gain knowledge and to learn to use it correctly. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote that we are the workmanship of Christ. That Jesus is a master carpenter. We understand that from his upbringing and, uh, and his, his trade uh, in life before he began his earthly ministry as a carpenter. Uh, and then Paul uses the analogy of we are the workmanship of Christ. That we are, we are uh, what is produced by that skilled labor of a master craftsman. We are the workmanship of Christ. Listen, I can have all the knowledge in the world and have no wisdom. There are a lot of brilliant people today in our government that lack wisdom. They lack a fear of God and they lack the ability to use knowledge correctly. Wisdom is simply the proper use or exercise of knowledge. The third thing I would say about it is this, that wisdom is gained by experience. It's not enough to just acquire knowledge. I have to put that knowledge into practice to gain, to gain experience to develop wisdom. In other words, I'm saying this, that just simply because I learned a, a, a fact doesn't mean that I automatically that that translates into wisdom. Wisdom requires the exercise of the knowledge. Whenever I was young and, and learning how to play different sports, uh, we would go to practice. Spend a lot more time at practice than we did in the game. And we spent a lot more time in practice running drills than we did scrimmaging. Why? Because the basics are important. And if you don't learn the fundamentals of the game and the right movements and you don't practice and rehearse and create muscle memory, <coughs> then you'll never respond right uh, in the midst of a game. It's the same thing in, uh, in, uh, with uh, you know, professional athletes or for uh, fighters or for people in militaries across the world. You train and train in law enforcement agencies and uh, first responders. You train and train and you rehearse and you rehearse and you go over and over and over the same things so that when it matters, your natural response is the right response. And what I'm saying about wisdom is that it's gaining the information and then using the information in my life day in and day out until it eventually comes to a point where it's second nature and it becomes natural. That's wisdom. Build your life on wisdom. And pastor, that means that, that that's going to require a lot of work. Exactly. Everything in life that's worthwhile requires work. 
You want a worthwhile, you want a good marriage, work at it. You want to be a good parent, work at it. You want to be a good grandparent, work at it. You want to, you want to succeed in employment, uh, whatever your career choice is, work at it. Wherever you go, whatever you do, if you're going to do well, it's going to require work. Yeah. It's not free. We blew that in the Garden of Eden. And since then, uh, we have to work. Build your life on wisdom. Wisdom is, a, is an endeavor of labor to gain knowledge than to use and practice that knowledge in my life until it becomes second nature to me. So if I would have a life that would be a life that's fulfilling, I would have a life, first of all, that's built upon wisdom. Secondly, this morning, I would say this. Notice again in verse number three. Through wisdom is in house building and by understanding it is established. Sebastian, we're kind of going backwards here. We're going backwards to my thoughts, the way that the Bible lays it out, but we have to understand the end goal and then we have to understand the process to get there. Well, here's the process to get there. Number two, establish your life by understanding. Establish your life by understanding. Understanding, and just a couple of thoughts on this, means this, first of all. Comprehending what is communicated or experienced. I experienced this, but did I comprehend what I just experienced? I heard the teacher present this, but did I comprehend it? You know, I've learned in teaching over the years that, uh, that we generally, most people don't generally fully absorb what's given the first time that they hear it. And the more avenues that we have to, to give it to somebody, uh, the, the more likely they are to get it more quickly. For example, uh, if I were speaking this morning and you did not have this up here to look at and a paper to write on in your lap, it would not stick with you as easily as it does if you're actually taking the time to follow along and, uh, and, and to write in the answers and uh, to watch and participate in the screen. And beyond that, uh, if we were in a, in a classroom setting where we could have discussion and where we could, we could even add to that. The more senses that are involved in communicating, the more easily understood uh, something is. I need to learn to take Bible principle and to comprehend what's being communicated to me from God. What's being communicated from the Word of God? That's understanding. Understanding is, okay, I heard the words that were said and I understood them. But beyond understanding them, did I understand the heart of what they were, was meant by them? Did I hear the law or did I catch the spirit of the law, if you will? Did I catch the spirit of what God's trying to communicate? Understanding is comprehending what is communicated or experienced. And secondly, understanding is coming to an agreement of minds between two or more parties. In other words, it's bringing my mind in agreement with God's on every issue. As a child of God, it is God uh, bringing me into an agreement. Now, if you look deep, more deeply at the word, uh, there's a case to be made here uh, for an argument ensuing, not an argument as in a fight, but an argument as a lawyer making a case. He's not saying that, okay, here's God said this, uh, and, and just you understand it. Now, if, I wanna, if I'm the kind of person that has enough faith to just accept it and go on, wonderful. But if I'm the kind of person that has to be convinced, let God convince you. The word understanding here implies that. It implies that if I have an issue in my heart that's not settled, that I can make my case to God. You don't have to make your case to me. I mean, if, I can, if you want to make your case to me and I can take the Bible and help you understand, wonderful. Happy to do it. 
But you can go to God. Hey, preacher, preach this, and or pastor, preach this, and I read this, and uh, I saw this, and I'm, that that clashes with what I've been taught at school or in my home or in my uh, in my workplace. Where's the truth? This doesn't seem right to me. This 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 seem, it seems like as if. This is a, a, an extreme position or this is uh, beyond my ability to, uh, to think. I've not heard it that way before. Uh, it's not wrong to go to God and say, God, here's my heart. It's open and here's what I think and what I feel and what I've been taught. Teach me. Yeah. Understanding. Understanding is coming to God and saying, God, I know what you said, but I don't get it and I don't agree. What do you really mean here? I'm making an argument and God is arguing back. Again, I'm not talking about a argument. I'm talking about just simply stating a case and listening to a response. And when my heart is such that I make my case, but yet allow God then to, through his word, whether it's read or preached or studied, however I, I get it, I'm allowing God to confirm or to change my position, then God is growing me in his grace. There, there are a lot of things over the years that I was taught when I was young uh, that, uh, that, you know, as, as I've gotten older, I'm like, where did that come from? And why do we do it this way? And why did I do that? What's the right response? The right response is to go to the word of God and to say, God, show me. Amen. There are a lot of things today that I get confronted with and I'm like, What's right, what's wrong? And my prayer is, God, show me. If, if, if this is something that you want me to be strict on, or if this is something that you want us to relax, or if this is something that you want me to change, or this is a different direction that you want us to go, God, you've got to show me. But my heart's open for God to change it. But I'm going to be changed by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God, not because of some person's argument. You understand what I'm trying to say this morning? That wisdom comes from understanding. That part of the process is allowing God and having an open heart. And what the problem a lot of times is, is that we come to God and we make our case, but our heart's not open. We come to God with what we believe and what we, uh, what we want and what we desire or what we've already been taught or what we've always believed or uh, the way it's always been. And rather than coming to God and saying, God, show me from your word and having a heart that's actually open to be shown. When my heart is open to be shown, I'm gaining understanding. If I would live a life that's fulfilled, I must build my life on wisdom and then establish my life by understanding. By the way, Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, and we looked at this, I believe, on either last Sunday or Wednesday, says, can two walk together except they be agreed? I cannot walk with God if I don't agree with them. And I'm going to tell you, if you're, if you're new this morning or you're a relatively new Christian this morning, there are probably still a lot of things in your life that you don't agree with God on. That's okay as long as you're open to his word changing you. That's why we come together. One of the reasons why we come together. That's why we have a Sunday school class. That's why we'll have a starting point class for a few weeks. That's why we have uh, discipleship through the foundations and, uh, and the walk and other, other things that we use to uh, teach and the principles of God's word to try to help develop a relationship and others develop a relationship with God. Why? Because if I would be a, live a life that's fulfilled and if I would have understanding and if I would gain wisdom, then what I'm talking about is allowing God to take me from where I am to where he is. To bring me into agreement with God on the matter. 
It doesn't matter how compelling the case or the argument is made by whoever it's made by, from whatever side it's made by. What matters is what saith the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Establish your life by understanding. And then lastly this morning, fill your life with knowledge. When I learn how to gain understanding and I learn what it takes to develop wisdom, now it's time to keep growing. A lot of times we want to learn and we want to grow when we're new to something or when we're young or when we're excited about something. I'm talking about the Christian life being a lifelong journey of learning. When we stop growing, we die. So, Pastor, I'm still breathing. There are a lot of people here this morning that are breathing that have been dead for a long time. Spiritually. You haven't learned anything new. You haven't had a heart open to learn anything new in decades. I'm not trying to be mean or unkind this morning. I think that's our natural tendency is to just get comfortable with where we are and get closed off. Well, I'm not the same as I was, and here I am. I'm talking about maintaining a spirit to God and to the Word of God throughout my entire lifetime where I'm constantly willing for God to show me and to grow me and to change me. I'm not, if I'm not willing to change, then I'm really just going through an exercise in futility this morning. If my attitude is, this is just who I am, I'm not going to change, then I'm not ever going to get very far down the life of, of fulfillment. But if I'm willing always to have God speak to my heart and to grow me and show me, uh, then I'm going to have a life that's fulfilling. Fill your life with knowledge. Notice that he says in verse 4, And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Knowledge is this. A clear and certain perception of that which exists. So now we're talking about, all right, God, I've, got, I've learned this. I've practiced it. I understand it. But I'm still gaining knowledge. But I want to gain knowledge that's accurate. I don't need, uh, to coin a phrase from uh, today's media, I don't need misinformation. I need real information. I don't, I don't need the propaganda from any side. I need the truth. I need to understand what's real, what's actual. Truth, knowledge, a clear and certain perception of that which exists. Secondly, I would say this, it's continual learning. It is continuing to process the process of developing wisdom. The wisdom of God. Do you understand what I'm saying here? You want a fulfilled life? This is a never-ending process. It is continually for a lifetime ongoing. I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly working. I'm constantly putting into practice, making application. I'm constantly going to the Lord and saying, God, show me what you would have. God, teach me the way that you want me to go. And using it to a point to where it's actually uh, a second-natured response, wisdom. What's your first reaction? Listen, there are a lot of things in this world that if you don't react quickly and you don't react the right way, you're dead. Reacting matters. We react to what we're trained and conditioned to actually be. God, make us what you want us to be so our reactions are the right way. Now, let's put this in a practical way and we'll be about done here this morning. <coughs> How do you react? when you get cut off in traffic? How do you react when you're treated rudely at a restaurant? 
How do you react whenever your boss at work pushes you to the limit of your, of your tolerance? How do you react when you get pushed out of your comfort zone or challenged on something that's important to you? What's your reaction? My reaction reveals who and what I am. My reaction reveals where I am in my walk with God. My reaction reveals much about me. And by the way, if you honestly assess yourself, you're going you're gonna to come to the realization pretty quickly, I think, that we're, we in those high-stress moments will be more often than not ashamed of our reaction, more so than that we would be pleased with our reaction. And even more importantly, that God is disappointed in our reaction than he is pleased with our reaction. But our reaction is a revelation of who we truly are. Anybody can be sweet and kind and good when they're in the right circumstance and environment. You don't really get revealed as to who and what you are until you're distressed, until you're under duress. Why do I need to have knowledge, pastor? Why do I need to have understanding? Because it's going to reveal who you are when stress comes. And when stress comes, wisdom manifests itself. Am I a person that has and lives in the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of God? And it's revealed for everybody to see. A life that's filled with wisdom and understanding and knowledge will be filled with precious and pleasant riches. Pleasant and pre- pleasant, precious and pleasant riches are not fat bank accounts. They're sweet walk with God and sweet fellowship with the brethren and a life that's manifest in making a difference in the lives of others. So why, why does that matter? Well, it matters... And we could look at a lot of different scriptures to say why it matters, but I'm just going to throw one at you for thought this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Why does it matter how I react in a moment of duress? Because somebody's watching that knows that I'm a Christian. Somebody's watching that knows that I am a believer in Christ. Someone's watching and and paying attention to who and what I am. Alexander the Great said this too as we close. Remember, upon the conduct of each depends the fate of all. How every member of Victory Baptist Church responds in wisdom or not impacts all of us. How every church reacts in wisdom or not to the world at large impacts the whole gospel. How I respond individually impacts all of us. How we respect as a body reflects upon all churches like ours. It it reflects upon the truth of the word of God and how it's perceived and received by a world that desperately needs to hear the truth. Would I be the kind of Christian that's determined to live a life that's fulfilled? Do I want my life to be a life that matters? Did I want to get to my late years and look back and say, thank you God for using me in that person's life and that person's life and that? Do I want to get to the end and look back and say, I'm so glad that I made the decisions that I made? Or do I want to get there and say, Boy, I wish I would have done that different 
I wish I would have listened. I wish I would have learned. I wish I would have understand. I wish my heart would have been open. We're going to get there sooner than later. The older you get, not only is it actually getting closer, but it feels like it's getting closer to you in a hurry. Do you want to look back with a lot of regret or do you want to look back and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that somebody taught me. Thank you that, listen, I, I don't think that, and, I, and I'm not meaning to sound like self-degrading or whatever, but I really, I really don't, I think you could have a lot better pastor than you have. I think there are worse, but I think they're a lot better. I don't think that you have the best preacher that you could have. I, th I do think you could have, you understand what I'm trying to say. I don't, I don't think I'm like way up here, but I know it could be a lot worse. And at times I'm shocked when someone comes and unites with our church and they've been in church somewhere else for 40 years. And this has probably happened half a dozen times in the last year where they come to me after the service and say, I wish, I wish someone would have taught me that 40 years ago. I wish someone would have showed me that when my children were young. I wish, and I'm thinking in my heart, it's tragic and it's so basic. I'm not talking about deep theological, difficult to understand the master things. Simple, basic, relational Christianity with my Father in heaven, with my family, and with my church, serving God together. It's the basics, and we've missed them. And we get disillusioned, and we feel unfulfilled in our walk with God because we miss the basics. And most of the times, the congregations have missed the basics, not because of the congregation's fault, but because it was never delivered from the pulpit. God help us to be hungry. God help us to be open to learn. And God help us to be a people that live and build our lives on wisdom and understanding and knowledge to the glory.